0: talking about living in between. And uh, if you remember last week we started our series in Isaiah and really kind of talking about how, how Christ the Messiah was prophesied some 700 years uh, before his birth. And when we think about the word Advent, it's a word that is comes from the Latin word that uh, just simply means coming or arrival. And so, you know, we think about the fact that for centuries, uh, followers of Christ have, uh, around the world, have taken the kind of the first, uh, the four Sundays prior to December 25th to be a a season of Advent. And every week has different themes and focuses of its own. And yet in this time of preparation and in a season of waiting, we think about the coming of Christ. We think about his first Advent as Jesus comes to this world as a baby. We think about him being born in Bethlehem. And we think about the significance of Christ's birth. Really, that is in many And yet, there is another advent, another coming of Christ that you and I are looking forward to, and that is the day when Christ will come and he will receive us unto himself and that the kingdom of this world, the Bible says, will be the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever. And so we think about this fact that you and I, right now, in 2022, are living between these two Advents, these two comings of Christ. And as we think about that, there is a certain way, what we've been considering is that there's a certain way that God would have us to live our lives in this in-between time. That as we think about the season of Advent and the words that would be associated with it, words like hope, hope, words like anticipation, words like preparation, like as we think about those words, uh, those are words that would speak to even how we in our lives right now are to be living in this in-between time. And so what we've been doing is we've been working through the series together in Advent, uh, kind of taking a week to reflect upon each of those four themes. We looked at last week of the hope, and, and as Isaiah kind of gave us this prophecy of hope concerning the Messiah, even that in the midst of their mess, and you remember if you were here last week, all the destruction and things that Isaiah and his generation were facing because of the judgment of God, and we, we discover that last week, Isaiah was talking about to his people what it looks like to wait well in the mess, and if you, are, if you remember that, and then this week we're talking about that Christ is our peace. That he is our lasting peace. And you know, last week we talked about how Isaiah uh, challenged each one of us to wait well in the mess. And if we kind of fast forward the timeline some 2,700 years later and we look out in our lives today, uh, we probably feel like not a lot has changed. Uh, There is a lot of mess. The mess still remains but in the midst of the mess, God promises us his peace. And we've sung about it this morning in a number of different songs together. We, we sang about this true and lasting peace. But sometimes, if you're honest, how many of you feel like that peace eludes you? Uh, it's promised to you, but it feels as if though it does elude us. And if you just open up the news, I don't know how you get your news. How how many of you are the techie people, you get your news online or by app? Can I see your hand? All right. How many of you, uh, you love the old-fashioned newspaper, you get it to your house? All right, a few of you in the room. How many of you watch news? How many of you get your news from somebody else? Can I see your hand? All right. And uh, you're probably doing that because you just know, like, I mean, you just open up whatever app, news outlet you want to look at. But I wonder, as you read the headlines in our world today, anybody read the headlines this morning? Let me ask you a question. Would the word peace be a word that you would use to describe headlines? No. Actually, we look out in this world, and there seems to be a great absence of peace. When you look out what's unfolding around us, many of us would not use the word peace to describe what is happening in our world. Rather, a lot of us would use words like chaos, conflict, corruption, Crime, catastrophe. It just looks like you look out on this world and we are all confronted with the brokenness. Brokenness. And everything on the news just seems bad. Not that the news is bad, but it seems like we're getting a lot of bad news. It's just like a constant stream of bad news. The stories about war and disease, oppression. Abuse by people in power, abuse in politics, justice going unserved. And the list just goes on and on and on. And I don't know if you've ever read the news headlines or you've just taken some time to think about the challenges that we are facing in our world today. But have you ever just from your heart wanted to cry out to God and say, Lord, when are you going to make all this right? That's not right. <laughs> you know, have you ever yelled at the TV set before? That's not right. There's something about that that's not right. Like, when is this going to stop? God, are you going to do anything about it? And, and, and if you've ever said words like that, then you're very much at home in the passage of what we're looking at this morning in Isaiah chapter 9. I think this is a question that is really kind of underlying Uh, the heart of what Isaiah's prophecy here in chapter 9 is all about. So if you have your Bibles, I trust you do, stand with me this morning. Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, we'll read down through verse 7. I want you to consider this message of good news that Isaiah is bringing. Verse 9, verse 1 of chapter 9. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time he brought her into contempt in the land of Zebulun, and the land of Naphtali, But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they were glad when they divided the spoil for the yoke of his burden. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray right now as we open our our lives before it that, Lord, you would speak to us by your spirit. Lord, we we would hear more than the voice of a mere man that as we open up your word, we would hear your voice uh, speaking to us, we pray. We ask these all in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. You can be seated. You read out on Isaiah chapter 9 as we read the passage together, we all feel like there is great distress happening in the nation of Israel. The the situation that is taking place as Isaiah pens this prophecy, their nation was living in great brokenness. And yet, in the midst of that, Isaiah is given this prophecy, this vision of God, that in the midst of great brokenness, there will be great hope. And we discover, as we remember last week, that Isaiah is a prophet of God. He's living some 700 years before the birth of Christ. And, and if you remember a little bit of Isaiah from last week, he is a man in, 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 in dire straits because his nation is in desperate times. The nation of Israel is divided if you remember that. And there, are, there is this fracturing of God's people in 10 northern tribes, which we refer to as Israel, and, uh, and then, then the, the southern two tribes of the kingdom of Judah. And, and, if, and if you read the book of Kings, or you read the book of Chronicles, that kind of outlay for us what happens after the reign of King David. What happens after the reign of Solomon, and then, and then the kingdom is divided under his reign. What you discover as you read the history of God's people, that Every king, especially in the northern tribes, it's like it goes from bad to worse. <laughs> I mean, it just goes from bad to worse, and so much so that we read this phrase so often. The Bible said that each did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, or we'd read a phrase that they were worse than their fathers, and we say, well, how much worse can it get, right? In fact, when, I, when Isaiah is writing this passage in this, in this day that he is living in, the king in the in, in Judah is King Ahaz. Many of you know King Ahaz. He was a wicked king. He had a good father and then he kind of went off from what he was taught. How bad was he? Actually, how bad was the day? Well, we're told that King Ahaz burned his own children in pagan sacrifice. They turned away from worshiping the Lord and set up false shrines and altars around Jerusalem. Jerusalem. He copied a pagan altar and arranged the temple of God to look like the gods of Damascus. He tried to impress the king of Syria, and so he altered the temple, and he cut the temple furnishings into pieces. God gave him a word by the prophet Isaiah that he was to wait for the Lord. And rather than wait, he tries to make an alliance with a kingdom. I mean, and, 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 and you just read... The context, there's a lot of not good things happening. And then, and, then, and then as what is often true in life is what is true of leadership is often true of the people. And when you look at the nation of Israel as a whole, you discover that Isaiah is living in a generation where a lot of people had forgotten God. They had forsook the Lord. And and so Isaiah is living in this day either by vision or experience. Remember, we talked about last week, he's seen this destruction of his people. and, And all of the destruction that is coming upon them is directly linked to their disobedience. And the disobedience of his generation and the generation before them as they rebelled against God. And so this once glorious kingdom that displayed the power of God, the glory of God in Solomon's temple and all of its majesty as we think about it the whole kingdom is now just fractured and and it is in conflict and things are not as they ought to be and in the midst of that there is this this great despair That could fill many people's hearts as they looked out on this brokenness and distress of their nation. And that's the backdrop of what we read now in Isaiah chapter 9. So when Isaiah says that there's a light shining in darkness, the darkness is what I just explained. That the nation was going through so much turmoil and and they're experiencing now the divine judgment of God. And notice, notice in your Bible in verse 1, notice some words that Isaiah uses to describe what's happening in verse 1. Gloom, anguish, contempt. Now notice verse 2. Darkness, deep darkness. You say, what is all that about? Well, that's because the king of Assyria... Has taken captive the ten northern tribes and he's pressing right up against the nation of Judah. I mean, things looked bad. People looked on the horizon and they knew things were gonna get worse. And it's dark. I mean, it, it just feels dark. I mean, I mean, Assyria was not a good, um, they, they were the bad, they, were, they were the bad boys. I mean, the the Assyrian army man was known for its brutality. They were known for their cruelty. They were now coming to seize and take captive large portions of God's people. And Isaiah receives this vision. In the midst of all of that, he receives this vision of, of this glimmer of hope. And although, get this, although the people of God had forgotten him, God had not forgotten his people. Amen? If you want to say amen, that's the place to do it. Amen. That if, if, if we forget the Lord, God has not forgotten us. And he had not forgotten his people because notice the first word, someone shout out the very first word of chapter nine. Nevertheless, does anyone have a different translation? But, you know, it's this contrast. There's these uh, words in the Bible that, that shift our gaze. And notice here in verse nine, I love the word, it's but. Nevertheless, in, in the midst of all that's happening in this day that seems so dark, Isaiah says there is this, there is this truth, there is this light that is shining. Isaiah 9 is an announcement of good news. It, it's a birth announcement. It's a birth announcement. And it's exciting. And it's, and it's, and it's a time where God's people needed hope. And they're given it in this birth announcement of the Messiah. 700 years before he arrives. Can you imagine that? Most parents struggle to wait six months from the announcement of their child's coming. God's people are going to wait 700 years. But he's coming. Verse 6. For unto us a child is born. For unto us a son is given. Isaiah is using this repetition in the Hebrew Old Testament. He's making a point that that this son would be a child, that this man-child would be be God's son. Isaiah is giving us this prophecy of this Messiah, of this anointed one, of this deliverer, this, this one who would come and be victorious. The victorious man is what we're given here. We're given this picture of the Lord Jesus Christ that, remember, Jesus comes fulfilling these words. In John's gospel, in John chapter 1, John tells us that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John says we've, <laughs> the Messiah has come. The only son from the father. And, and, and Isaiah is telling us that there would be this son, this child, who would be a man, but he would also be a king. Notice what we discover how he finishes in verse 6, he says the government shall be upon his shoulder. What is he saying? He's saying that the kingdom of God will, will extend from him. That he will be this divine ruler. And so, you know, as we read Isaiah, if we've, if you, how many of you have ever studied the book of Isaiah for yourself? Can I see your hand? Now, how many of you, those of you, a few of you that have, have actually studied the book of Isaiah, how many of you know how frustrating it is when you come to a passage and you read it and you're asking the question, you're saying, well, now, wait a minute, is this now or is this later? And you know what the answer often is when you read the book of Isaiah? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is now. And yes, it is later. And what Isaiah is speaking of here is very much, though, later. He is prophesying the announcement of Christ's birth. And notice how he describes the Messiah. Notice verse 6. Notice the words that are used to describe this anointed one. He is the what? Wonderful counselor. He's the wonderful counselor. Isaiah is not saying that Jesus is your therapist. He's not saying that Jesus is a social worker. Isaiah is saying, that word actually carries this idea of might and ruler. He is a wonderful counselor. He is a mighty military visionary. I mean, it's kind of the idea. Unlike the foolish kings in Israel, especially like King Ahaz, the Messiah is not like him. The Messiah is not foolish. The Messiah is this wonderful counselor who is full of wisdom. He is the mighty God. Literally, he is God himself. He is God himself. He is the valiant champion that will fight for us. He's the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting what? Father. What does that mean? It means that Jesus will take this fatherly responsibility for every one of us. For each of us. And just as an earthly father would welcome you and embrace you and invite you, Jesus has made us welcome. He has brought us into his family. The Bible says in the New Testament writers he's adopted us. We're now included. We're, we're, We're in the family. And he is our father. Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. So he's not abandoning us. He's a father that's staying. He's the everlasting father. And then here's where I want us to zone in on this morning. He is the prince of what? Peace. The word peace there is the Hebrew word for peace. It is the word shalom. Can you turn your neighbor and just give him that greeting this morning. Shalom, shalom. It's a word that means peace, but it's not just a word that means peace in the sense that we often think about it. Many of us, when we think about peace in our world today, we think about peace as the absence of trouble or as like the absence of conflict or the absence of war. Well, that, that, that is part of what Shalom is communicating, but it actually communicates, it's a fuller picture. It's a, it, it's a deeper sense of peace. It's not just the absence of trouble, but it's the sense that when your life is in Shalom, when our world is in Shalom, there is this wholeness There is this completeness, there is this fullness of joy as we just saw in Isaiah 9 and that things are the way they ought to be. That's the idea of Shalom. There's this completeness, there's this fullness that that, that things are the way they ought to be. There's a lot of word pictures that have been used for Shalom, but the best one that I've found is this picture of a stone wall. Just think about in the ancient days, a fortified city and a stone wall, right? And, 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 and that stone wall is made up of a lot of a complexity. There's a lot of different stones and mortar and joints and, and all of these things. I mean, there's a lot going on, but it all has to fit together in that fullness, that completeness, that, 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 that protection, that sense of completion, Right? Because what you don't want when you're a walled city is you don't want a stone wall with a bunch of gaps. There's no sense of peace in that. There's no sense of security in that. There's no sense of completeness in that. You're vulnerable. You're exposed. There's cracks in the foundation. That's, that's the word picture of shalom. It's this idea that our lives are very complete. Our souls are complex. And they're made up of a a lot of different pieces. And what we want is peace. We want shalom. We want want there to be no gaps or cracks. We want there to be this sense of security and protection and well-being. And so shalom can be spoken of of a city or of a wall, but it can be spoken of a person. That, that, that we as people and our souls long for peace. And, and, and if we think about this analogy just a little bit more, what we discover is that, man, our lives are so complex, aren't they? I mean, there's not just always this kind of one simple answer. There's always a whole bunch of things happening in the same time. And if you think about your life, I mean, I think about the imagery of Proverbs, that that, that, that our soul is like that walled city. And if there's this breakdown, then we're vulnerable in our life because... Because we're not at peace with ourselves. And there are a lot of people in our world today that are living in conflict. There's conflict not just happening outside among them. There's conflict happening within them. And and if we're really honest this morning, you you know that that, that even though things could be all right around you, that, that things may not be all right inside you. I mean, how how many of you ever, I don't want you to raise your hand, but how many of you ever gone to a a gathering with a lot of people and everything just seemed to be all right, and everybody seemed happy and content, and there was this joy, but man, there was something inside your soul that wasn't all right. You see, there's a deeper sense of peace that many of us are looking for. And when our lives are out of alignment, when, when our souls are out of alignment, They need to be restored. They need need shalom. It's this idea of completeness. So to bring peace to somebody is to make them complete, to restore them. That's That's the idea in the Hebrew. So let me ask you a question. How many of you think about your own life today and you say, I need shalom? You know, I'm convinced there's a lot of people in our world today that when you talk about peace, they've only experienced peace in the negative sense of the word, like in the absence of trouble, in the absence of war. That's how many people in our society today think about peace, that if somehow people would just stop arguing, if somehow people would just stop complaining, if if people would stop going to war with one another, man, then we would have peace, right? But peace is not just stopping someone. Peace is making something whole. It's restoring it. It's completing it. It's filling the gaps of what is lacking. And Isaiah says that Jesus, this promised one, the Messiah, would come and he is the prince of what? He's the prince of Shalom. This wholeness, this completeness that our lives lack is found in him. Now when you think about when Jesus was born for a second, now think about the day in which Jesus was born, and Jesus. Remember, the days of Caesar Augustus. All the world's going to get taxed. Why is the world getting taxed? What did Rome do? They had what? Come on, what, what's happening with Israel and Rome? The birth of Jesus. Who are the Romans? What had they done? They had occupied. They had taken places by force and by threat. It's called the Pax Romana. It's called the peace of Rome. Here's the thing, though. It wasn't attained in a peaceful way. Rome killed people. Rome threatened people. Rome obtained it by violence, not shalom. And so Isaiah is telling us this this prophecy Concerning Jesus, that of the increase of the government of his peace, there will be no end. I mean, no one's going to be chanting four more years now, right? It's forever. It's forever. Isaiah says, hey, there is one, an anointed ruler who's coming that will establish his throne forevermore. And this world that that, that seems so often to lack peace... Will experiencing the rule of peace, that, that, that the Messiah will come. He will set this world right. He will rule with this shalom throughout all the world. And that, that, as we read even this morning in our scripture reading, there will be a day when everything will be right, it'll be the way that it ought to be. And and, and as we think about that, as we think about that, that that it will be forever and that God's kingdom will go on forever and that that there will be no end. Can I ask you a question, my friend? Do you long for that? Do you long for that? How often do we find ourselves longing for that? You say, man, that sounds incredible. (laughs) So what are we waiting for? I mean, Jesus has come, hasn't he? The Messiah is here. He was born 2,000 years ago. He's come to bring peace in this world. Wait, what's going on? Why is it not the way that it ought to be? I thought Jesus has come, and he's come to bring us his peace. But man, if anything is, I mean, if church history is any judge over the last 2,000 years, you look at church history, uh, there seems to be a lot of absence of peace. You say, what's going on? Hasn't God come to make things right? Well, yes, but not fully, right? Jesus in his first advent comes to complete us, to complete um, uh, the, the, the longing in our heart that you and I might have peace with God, the Bible says. But there will come a day in his second advent when Christ will come and he will make things right in this world. And this world will have peace. You see, right now, you and I can have peace in the midst of a world that is not in peace. But one day, Jesus is coming to not only extend that peace that has begun in our hearts, but extend it throughout his reign in this world. And the question is, do you long for that? You see, if you ever ask the question, God, when are you going to make all this right? You ever looked out on some injustice and you've said, that's not right, that needs to be fixed. If you've ever said that, then here's here's the really scary truth in all of that. What you're really admitting to is that not all of this needs to get fixed. But I gotta get fixed. Because there's not just only brokenness in this world. There's brokenness in me. Can you raise your hand to testify to that this morning amen at least we're honest so what does it mean that that that, that 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 wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute some of the greatest brokenness of all exists within the confines of our own soul where no one can see except God how is how, how many of you have just kind of uh man it's so good to see Jay here this morning praise the Lord for what the Lord did in his life i'll tell you what i'll never forget we were over at the hospital last saturday i was there in the room as jay was you know coming in the hospital for they didn't know what i remember looking at the monitor man and his heart rate went from like 70 all the way down to zero that flat line for a few seconds and everyone was kind of like what and he just kind of popped right out of it you know and uh they ended up finding out he needed a pacemaker put in. praise the lord he's doing well this morning he's here amen the lord's a wonderful counselor amen all right the lord did something in his life amen but you know what? How, how were they able to know that? Because they had one of those little heart, I'm not sure how they work, one of the little heart thingies that go on your finger. I think it goes on your finger. Does it go on your finger, nurses? Yeah, okay. No, it doesn't. That's the oxygen sensor. It goes on your heart. Okay. <laughs> you do not want me to be a doctor. I've already told Dr. Doug, you do not want me for medical stuff next summer. I am evangelism only. Put me in the place there, right there. All right. But but here's the thing. How many of us have recently, there's those gauges that we can put on to tell our vital signs, to tell um, the the, the wellness of our heart, to, to show if we're breathing properly. When was the last time you put one of those things on your soul? When was the last time you got really honest with your condition? You weren't as healthy as you thought you were. In fact, there is a lot of brokenness in this world, but in fact, there's a lot of brokenness in you. And we feel this tension because Jesus has come to bring us his peace. He says that we can experience his peace. But then we say, well, wait a minute, where's the disconnect in my life? Because when I look into my soul, I feel grief and anxiety and shame and loneliness and fear. And if, and if we're honest, Christmas just kind of seems to intensify the brokenness, doesn't it? Here's a fact. I don't need someone to come and fix all the mess around me. I need someone to come and fix the brokenness and the mess in me. Because just like that picture of a wall, sin in our life creates the gaps. Sin creates the brokenness. And every one of us who are here today, one of our greatest needs in life is peace. This shalom, this sense of wholeness. And that, my friends, is the good news, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When the angels came that night to announce to shepherds of the birth of the Messiah, they said glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill to men. Jesus comes to this world in a cradle born of, made of wood so that One day he would give his life on another tree. And the Bible says in Colossians 1, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and that through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. You see, the cradle and the cross are tied together in the sense of what Jesus came to accomplish for mankind, and that was that we might experience peace with God. This is how committed Jesus is that your life would experience this sense of wholeness, this sense of peace. He came in a time in our lives where we were in great need, and our lives were filled with such sin and brokenness, and he comes, he gives up his life as a ransom for many. He dies on the cross, he's buried, and he rose again. He's this conquering king that defeats death, so, so that why? So, so, so that there's something significant here. He's, Jesus took on our brokenness so that we might have his wholeness. He took our unrighteousness so that we might have his righteousness. He took on our shame and reproach that we might have his joy. He took on within himself in the war of his body, that he might offer us peace. He is the prince of peace. And Jesus did all of this, reckoning, reconciling us to himself, making peace with us, even while we were enemies of God. So that the gospel is that he would take enemies and then call them friends. Friends. How wonderful. How marvelous. He is the wonderful counselor, the almighty God. He is the prince of peace. He is all these things in our life. And so so Jesus tells his followers, he no longer calls them servants. Now he calls them friends. And he says to his friends, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You see, the first advent is all because, it's for the sense that you and I can have peace with God. And his second advent is the day when he will come to restore all things and make all things right in this world. And this world will have peace. But right now he extends his peace to each one of us. That today, you can experience the peace of God in your own life. And you don't have to live in a world that is absence of peace and trouble, although that would be great. You can say, Jesus is saying about you, that you today can experience his peace, his shalom, his completeness, his fullness in his life, and he gives it to you freely. But you know what you must redo? you got to receive it. you got to receive it. I think there's a lot of people in this room today that God's peace has been made available to you. God wants you to experience him on such a deep and meaningful place in your life that you would know such security and peace and sableness and completeness and the sense of well-being in your life. God desires that for you. But you're unwilling to receive it. You're unwilling to humble yourself before the Lord. You're unwilling to recognize that there's a lot of things in your soul that is keeping you from experiencing peace with God. And then truly experiencing the peace of God. But the question is this morning, first and foremost, have you received God's peace? Your life today is in shambles. It's like a stone wall that's just with gaping holes. And what Jesus is offering is he's going to absorb all the mess and the brokenness in himself and in place he's going to give you he's going to restore your soul he's going to make you whole he wants to give you God's peace. Have you received it? That would be the best thing for you to do this morning. Is to confess your sins to admit with God my life's in shambles. My soul's Worn down, broken down. God, I need you to make me whole. That's salvation. And he promises to do it. And he promises that you and I might know his peace. Notice the end of verse 7. Of the increase of the government and of peace, there will be no end and on the house of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Notice how will all this thing take place. Last line, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do it. God doesn't want you to do anything (laughs) other than receive his salvation. God's that committed to you. He's the one that does the saving. I don't save, you don't save, your best friend doesn't save. The Bible says there is no salvation in anyone else, no other name given under, under heaven among men whereby we must be saved in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. So there is salvation in him and in him alone. And the promise of his word is that if you will come to him and receive it, will you simply believe it? We read this passage this morning in verses 1 through 7. There is no commands for us to do. There's nothing to walk out of here this morning and say, okay, I need to add this now into my life to live in this way. It's a gospel message. And the response to the gospel is always the same. Will you believe it? Will you believe it? Will you trust that God can make you whole? Will you trust that God can restore what seems so broken in your life? Will you trust that God wants to give you a sense of surety and security in these days? Will you trust the Lord as you go through the next few weeks on the calendar in the midst of all the emotions and just rather than run to all the other things that we would be tempted to run to, would you just run to Jesus and His promise of you and for you that He wants you to experience His peace? He's come that you might know Him. I mean, how much more What else could we ask for? He's given us everything in himself. And so right now, you and I are living in the in-between. We're living between these two moments. And Jesus has come that we might have peace with God, and one day Jesus will come again so that we might experience shalom in all its fullness. And we can experience peace in our souls even though peace is absent in this world. Here's the thing. God's offer of salvation goes out to all. To all that they might receive him and trust in him and experience the peace that he has come to bring. And that is the greatest need in our life. But will you receive it? Will you receive it? And will you live in the reality of it? Would you bow your head with me this morning? Father, we thank you this morning that you have loved us so profoundly that you have come into this world while we are sinners. Lord, while we have rebelled, while we pursue our own wickedness, in your loving grace you found us. And Lord, the message of the gospel is that you have come to extend us peace. Lord, the hostility that we have known between us and you you come to put all things right you come in our lives to restore what is broken and make it new and lord many of us around this room have have entered into that there's been a time in our life where we've confessed our sins and by faith we've received this good news we didn't deserve it we didn't earn it but we just simply believed it and you've changed us and you've given us your peace and lord we today in this room have peace with you. And Lord, I thank you for those in this room that know that. But Lord, there's some maybe here in this room today that have never experienced peace with you. Lord, they're running from you. They've walled up themselves from you. They, they are trying everything else to try and solve that sense of loneliness and absence in their life. And, and Lord, what they need today is to come to you for salvation and for you to make them whole. So Lord, I pray that they would humble themselves this morning and receive your grace. But Lord, I believe a lot of us right now, we live in the busyness of this year and we get so caught up with so many things and it spins our life up, it spuns us out, it, it 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 puts us out of balance and we're not at peace. Because Lord, we're looking to something else, we're looking to a, a family or we're looking to a, an item or we're... We're looking to an experience, and we're thinking that somehow, if we just had that, Lord, then what seems lacking in our life would be restored. But, Lord, what we need this morning is You. So, Lord, help us confess all those things that would draw our hearts in other ways that are not what You would have us to do. And, Lord, You want to draw us to Yourself. We to be just like our salvation. God to be fresh to us, the peace that we could experience with You. And of you would be fresh in our lives. We pray it in Jesus' mighty name. All God's people said, stand your feet this morning, heads bowed and eyes closed. And there's a cards up front for those who have asked us to pray for them. Would you come in this time of response and to pray for someone in our church? And as your head is bowed there before the Lord, can I just ask you a question? What is God saying to you this morning? And more importantly, what are you going to do about it? What is he saying to you and what are you going to do about it? I give you this opportunity right here this morning, this time of response for you to to spend some time with the Lord. You can come kneel up here at the altar. You can kneel there in your chair. You can just get alone with God. But what has God spoken to your heart about this morning and what are you going to do about it? Let's seek out the Lord right here in a season of prayer as Jessica plays. You respond how God leads.